This morning, I'm going to choose a phrase that is oft repeated in the book of Ezekiel. And you read that, that, that phrase on the screen. That is the title of the sermon. Then they will know. I read through the book of Ezekiel the past week or so, and I was astounded at how many times I saw those words. And I will share them with you as we go through. Then they will know. We're going to pick up in chapter 6 of Ezekiel. We studied this a bit on Wednesday evening, and as it happens, some of that material is going to surface again today, but that'll be okay. I'm going to begin in Ezekiel 6 verse 1 and read that chapter, and I'd like for you to notice as we highlight when those words are read that are on the screen. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines and to the valleys. Indeed, I, even I, will bring a sword against you, and I will destroy your high places. Then your altars shall be desolate. Your incense altars shall be broken, and I will cast down your slain men before your idols. And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols." And and incidentally, you probably should have picked up by now, it was a no-no and a shame that there were idols among the children of Israel. They shouldn't have been there. Verse 5, And I will lay the corpses of the children of Israel before their idols. And I will scatter your bones all around your altars. In all your dwelling places, the cities shall be laid waste. And the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst. And there we see those words. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Yet I will leave a remnant so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart which has departed from me And by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations. And here's that phrase again. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain 
that I would bring this calamity upon them. Thus says the Lord God, verse 11, Pound your fist and stamp your feet and say, Alas for all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. This will I, or thus will I spend my fury upon them. Here's those words again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When their slain are among their idols, all around their altars, on every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness of Dibla in all their dwelling places. And here's that phrase again. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. You read on through verse 7 to verse 4. My eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity. But I will repay your ways and your abominations will be in your midst. And there's those words again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 9. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will repay you according to your ways. And your abominations will be in your midst. And there's that phrase again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord who strikes. And then you continue reading all the way down to verse 27 which ends this way in chapter 7. And according to what they deserve, I will judge them. Then, here's those words again, they shall know that I am the Lord. So seven times in these two chapters, Ezekiel declares God's message that the results of this horrific punishment will be that then they shall know that I am the Lord. I'd like for us to notice, think about that for just a moment. I hope you pick this up in the passage that we just read. This was not just an everyday occurrence. I could say it this way, that God had had it up to here with their idol worship. There were no more warnings to be given. The die had been cast. Judgment had been pronounced. There was no turning around now. The Lord had made up His mind. He was going to humble them He was going to punish them. He was going to destroy them, if you will. They were going to suffer much pain, much agony, much discomfort. Life was going to be tough. They were getting payback for their sin, for their idol worship. God had warned them and warned them and warned them. Now the warning was over. Last couple of weeks we've studied through uh, Jeremiah Lamentations and now Ezekiel. Even Isaiah, the prophet as well. And and the theme is always the same in the prophets. They're being warned. They're being warned. If you don't turn around, if you don't come back to me, if you don't, if you don't forsake idols, it's a tragic thing that the people of God were committing. Their idolatries, their adulteries, their forsaking the true and living God and coming before him in his house 
worshiping other idols and other gods, even sacrificing their own children to pagan gods, even within the temple complex. If you were here on Wednesday evening, or maybe one of the other times we've studied this, you'll recall that we shared in Scripture of passages where it got so bad when Jerusalem was besieged, surrounded by the Babylonian army. They were actually eating their children, and children were eating their parents. It talks about it in the Bible. It was a terrible thing. It was a horrible thing. It was not business as usual. It was it was punitive measures from God like none other. Seven times in these two chapters we read those words. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. When? When after God has punished them. When after God has gotten their attention. When there was no way any longer that you could deny that God was really upset about this and had had it up to here. This was coming from God. This was an act of God. And so the Lord says, then they shall know that I am the Lord. That's pretty bad, isn't it? But that's just the beginning. We just read seven times. That's just the beginning. As you read through the book of Ezekiel, over five dozen more times after this, God declares, then they shall know that I am the Lord. That's 70 times in all. Now, I've got to tell you, if the Lord says something 70 times in one book of the Bible, it's got to be significant. Right? These are very important words. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. As if beforehand they weren't convinced. But after this happens, after this comes upon you, the Lord says, then you're going to know that I am the Lord. 70 times in all. In the book of Ezekiel. This statement is made concerning Israel. That is true. But this same statement is also made about the people of Ammon, Moab, and Philistia in chapter 25. It's also said to the people of Tyre in chapter 26. It's said to the people of Sidon and Egypt in chapter 28 and 29. It's said about the nations in chapter 30. And it's said about Mount Seir in chapter 35. In other words, not only was God going to pour out judgment upon His people, the children of Israel, He was also going to pour out judgment on all these other nations. It's interesting to me, in in the prophets, when the Lord warns them ahead of time, He says, if you don't repent, if you don't turn around and come back to Me, if you don't forsake this idol worship that you're involved in, I'm going to call from the north. I'm going to call Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. And he's going to come down. And he's going to going to make life miserable for you. I'm going to bring judgment when Nebuchadnezzar comes down. And the Bible tells us that's exactly what happened. But what's interesting to me is that then the Bible says, and the Lord says, and then I'm going to turn around and whip Nebuchadnezzar for doing it. You know why? Because he's God. He's sovereign. He can bring about world events and he can circumvent history and he can cause things to happen. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and the Lord turns it whithersoever he will. And the Lord is going to bring about his purposes on planet earth. And we see that happening here. So the Bible says, 
over 70 times, then they shall know that I am the Lord. After the Lord prophetically says things and tells them that certain things are going to happen. Not only did the Lord speak these words in a negative sense, they weren't always punitive concerning these nations. He also used the same words to give positive, hopeful news. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Ezekiel 37, there's a very popular passage of Scripture there that I'd like to read just a portion of. In Ezekiel 37, you'll remember the story, the vision, the experience of the dry bones. Chapter 37, the hand of the Lord came upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Oh, there's these words again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, it's good news when you're told you're going to live, right? Is that not good news? So not only does this phrase, then you shall know that I am the Lord. It's not only when something punitive happens. It's not only when you're judged and horrible things happen, but sometimes the Lord wants to do wonderful things, beautiful things, miraculous things in our lives. And he would say too, then you shall know that I am the Lord. You don't have to doubt who I am, he says. In verse 13, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And there's that phrase again. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And you see it again in verse 14. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So the Lord can get our attention through punitive measures and judgment. Or the Lord can get our attention through the wonderful blessings that only He could give us. Either way, it opens our eyes to who He is and helps us to appreciate His goodness. Very briefly this morning, I want to share with you two biblical prophecies And see what the Bible has to say. And we're going to see how those prophecies were fulfilled historically. And see for a fact that God knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm going to tell you before we get started. If God says it, you can take it to the bank. Amen? If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. In Isaiah chapter 13, the words are on the screen. Listen to these verses about what the Bible says about Babylon. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, 
will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, before we go to the next slide, let me... How many of you remember Sodom and Gomorrah? What was left of Sodom and Gomorrah? Are you with me? So the Lord says about Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, it will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will shepherds make their sheepfolds there, but wild beasts of the desert will lie there. And their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there. And goats will caper there. The hyenas will howl in their citadels. And jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come. And her days will not be prolonged. In other words, you can take it to the bank, the Lord says. Now this is what the Bible says about Babylon. Babylon was, was the most powerful, most beautiful, most wealthy city in the world. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. You can even read in the Bible and uh, about in the book of Daniel about his palace and and how he was king of the world and and how he had had the the whole known world was under his rule. Most powerful man on earth. He got exalted in his pride, and the Lord humiliated him. And we don't have time to go through that whole story. But Babylon was a massive place. The wonders, of seven wonders of the world, a couple of them were found in Babylon. The walls of the city and the hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar. Seven wonders of the world. It was, a, it was an exquisite place, an unbelievable place. A, a place that was modern in those days. A place that was impressive. A place that would cause your, your eyes to open and everybody say, Ah, look at that. Everybody was impressed with Babylon. And the Lord looks at this city and he says what we've read there. It's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be wiped out. There's not going to be anything left. And furthermore, it will not be rebuilded. And all of the ruins that are there will be inhabited by the owls and the ostriches and the rats and the rattlesnakes and all those things. It will not be rebuilt again. That is an amazing prophecy. Because in Bible days, most of the time, if a city was ever destroyed, it was rebuilt all over again, right on the same location. Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt multiple times. But Babylon? No. The Lord says it's not going to be rebuilt. It's not going to be inhabited again. And here's something interesting. Back in the 1980s, I always like to understand what's happening prophetically as we read our Bibles. Back in the 1980s, there was a man named Saddam Hussein. He was bound and determined he was going to rebuild Babylon. He even had a palace there. There was a wall and a, and a gate built as he began to do this, and he even inscribed on the bricks, Saddam Hussein, built by Saddam Hussein, Son of Nebuchadnezzar. That's a historical fact. Can you imagine the arrogance and the pride? Built by Saddam Hussein, son of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was rebuilding the city. Well, you know what happened there, don't you? That palace was torn down. And he was taken captive. Later was executed. And that 
palace, what remains of it now after that beginning of that war when he was taken is now decimated and they can't even get tourists to come see it. And it's closed down. Listen, when God says it's going to be desolate, it's going to be desolate. Even if Saddam Hussein says different. So that's what the Bible says about Babylon. What does history say? History agrees and says the very same thing. Babylon has not been rebuilt, even today. There's another story that I want to share with you, a prophecy. And this one has to do with the biblical city of Tyre. Now before we read this, I'd like to share with you that Tyre was a seacoast town, a port town. Very wealthy. All the shipping lanes and the people who came through, they're selling their wares and shipping. It all came through Tyre. Very wealthy, beautiful homes. It was a happening place. They were very prideful and very arrogant people. They were rich and they knew it. They flaunted it. They enjoyed it. And the Lord declared judgment upon Tyre as we're going to read. Chapter 26, verses 12 and 14 Please listen carefully to the details of what God said was going to happen to Tyre. They will plunder your riches. The city. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. Well, so far, so good. Makes sense. But then you read some very strange things here. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I will make you like the top of a rock. You shall be a place for spreading nets. And you shall never be rebuilt. For I the Lord have spoken, says the Lord God. And this this place... Sorry, guys, I meant to kick. It's on the desktop. Can you pull up that slide from Wednesday night? It's on the desktop. If you, if you don't mind, if you can. If you can't, we won't worry about it. But it, it's there. I got confidence in you. This city, Tyre, was on the mainland, on the Mediterranean Sea. And then somebody that's very familiar to you in history, his name was Alexander the Great. How many, thank you. How many have ever heard of Alexander the Great? When the time came, Alexander came and the city had been destroyed. Alexander the Great looked off the Mediterranean coast and there was an island out there. On that old map it says Tyre. Now, it wasn't Tyre then, it was just, it was just an island and there was a fortress out on the island. Alexander the Great, standing on the main line, on mainland, said, I want that island. I want that island for myself. I want to build a fortress on that island for myself and my army. So what did he do? Alexander the Great took all the rubble from Tyre over on the mainland, where it says, is that Phoenicia? Phoenicia is what it says there. Tyre was on the mainland had been destroyed, took all the rubble from the houses and everything else and began to throw it into the water and build a causeway all the way across the water to get to the island so that there would then be a way where they could get over to where this fortress was. Now, 
If you don't mind, let me read to you again what the Bible said in this prophecy. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. That's what happened right there. You see that causeway, that straight line between the mainland and that island. I will make you like the top of a rock. How strange that sounds. But when they laid all these rocks and dirt down in the water and built this road, this causeway going across the water, then this next part could be fulfilled as well. You shall be a place for spreading nets. All the fishermen would go out and fish and they'd come in at the end of the day and they'd throw their nets out on this causeway and repair them and clean them. Wow. And the Lord knew exactly before it happened exactly what was going to happen. Then you shall know that the Lord, He is God. Amen? And whatever He says is going to come to pass. So that's what the Bible says about Tyre. What does history say? History says the very same thing. The nature of prophecy is this. This is the nature of prophecy. God foretelling history, disclosing beforehand the results, and it's one of the greatest proofs of the inspiration of the Bible. I I want to read that again because I want you to get this. The next time you think, well, reading the Old Testament is boring. Well, there's nothing to be learned from the Old Testament stuff that's there. I'm here to tell you there is. Because when you see hundreds of years before the fact that God said, this is going to happen, I'm going to tell you. And when this happens, you're going to know that I am the Lord. And then, whether it's 50 years later, 100 years later, 150 years later, whenever it happens and you see it unfold just the way that God said it would. This is nature. This is the nature of prophecy. God foretelling ahead of time. God foretelling history. Disclosing beforehand the results. And it's one of the greatest proofs of the inspiration of the Bible. Now before I go any farther, let me stop right here and and say to you that prophecy is the word of the Lord. Not the word of a man. This message that we're reading in the book of Ezekiel, this is not Ezekiel's message. This is God's message. Ezekiel was just a messenger. Are you with me? It is God who foresees and foretells history, not man. But when God reveals that to a prophet like Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah or any of the other prophets, well, I'm going to tell you what. We need to pay attention because if God said it, it's coming to pass. It's very interesting There have been hundreds and hundreds of prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament. Did y'all hear that? Hundreds. There have been hundreds of prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament. And now listen very carefully. There's still a few left that haven't been fulfilled yet. Did you hear me? There's still a few left that haven't been fulfilled. You better be watching. You better be looking. You better be aware of what's happening all around us because prophecy is being fulfilled in our very day. A few remain yet unfilled. 
You know this scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Could everybody say world? It didn't say United States there, did it? It didn't even say, for God so loved the United States better than he loved the world. It just says, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you really believe that God so loved the world? I hope you do. Listen, this is not about us in the U.S. Jesus didn't come to die for the United States of America. Jesus came to die for the world. Amen? Amen? So therefore, it doesn't matter what language you speak, what color your skin is, what part of the world you may be from or what you might happen to believe at this point in time, the gospel has been given for your benefit. Are you with me? What about ISIS? Yes. Yes. What about Muslims? Yes. What about idol worshipers? Well, they were idol worshipers. And the Lord was trying to get him to turn around and come to him. So Jesus died. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came so that the world through him might be saved. And sometimes I think we need our eyes opened as to who God wants to save. And that is everybody. Whosoever will let him come. But the sad fact is this. John 3, 19 says, The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. That's the truth, isn't it? Men love darkness rather than light. We're troubled by that. I'm troubled by that. I'm troubled by what I see going on in the world today. I hope you are. I hope you're not comfortable with with 3,000 babies a day being aborted in the United States. That troubles me. I hope you're troubled by what you see happening to the family and marriage and sexuality in the United States of America. I hope that bothers you. Because it should. Men love darkness rather than light. That should trouble us but I want to say this as we bring this to a close I want you to listen carefully to this next scripture Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11 God has highly exalted him Jesus and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every everybody say every Every knee should bow. i got to start over again. God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every. Of those in heaven 
and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that scripture that I just read is based on a prophecy, Isaiah 45. And based on the title of this sermon today and the fact that 70 times in the book of Ezekiel alone, the Bible says, and then they will know that I am God. I am proposing to you today that what the Bible says in Philippians is true, that there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That includes Saddam Hussein. It includes Kim Jong-un, whatever his name is. It in, You name it. You, it includes Hitler. It includes every person who's full of himself and boasted against God and committed all kinds of wickedness and atrocities. The day is coming. They're going to fall on their knees before the Lord Jesus Christ and every knee will bow and every tongue confess and you say, it'll never happen. Well, people would have said that Tyre could have never ended up underwater either, but it did. And when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. So, I said earlier in this sermon that when we're talking about this, and they shall know that I am the Lord, that's not only to be associated with the punitive things, with with the negative things. It's also to be associated with the positive things because it's good news that God is in control. We have the opportunity to surrender our lives to Him. We can call on His name, the name above every name. He'll forgive us of our sins. He died for our sins. He'll wash away our sins. We can be new creatures in Christ Jesus. We have the opportunity to bow before Him today. But if you don't bow before him today, I'll promise you this, you're going to bow before him sometime. Amen? And then you will know that he is the Lord. Amen? I'd like for you to stand with me. In Matthew 5, verse 18, the Bible says, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That is to say, there's not a comma, a dotting of the I, a semicolon, no little tiny bit of punctuation. Nothing is going to pass from God's word that he has said is going to happen. If he said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Amen. It's coming. And we need to be ready. And we need to be surrendered because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's sing it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
like to I'd like to go kind of full circle and go back to where we started today with the children of Israel. Remember they were called the children of Israel. They gathered in the temple. They worshiped there. And yet the Lord took Ezekiel there into a room and there was a hole in the wall. And the Lord said to Ezekiel, look through that hole in the wall and I'll show you what's going on in the house of God. So they looked and they found all kinds of things. People who were worshiping idols. People who were doing things that were unbelievable. No, nobody would ever do that who claimed to be among God's people. Yet lots of them were doing it. Things that were despicable, things that were heretical, things that were terrible, things that were wicked. And I got to tell you today, to be true with the context that we're looking at here in Ezekiel, it's not enough to be named among God's people. We need to know that our sins are washed away and we've surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So as we sing this one more time, if you're here and don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you're not sure that you know Him as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you the opportunity just to come and stand here, and one of our pastors or staff will come and pray with you, or myself, somebody will, and we will, we will pray with you. If you, if you have a need in your life, if you're discouraged in your walk with the Lord, if you just need prayer about some need in your life and you'd like for somebody to pray with you, you can come as we sing this. This is your opportunity to leave here today knowing that you have already bowed the knee before Him, surrendered to Him your life. He is Lord, He is Lord, He has risen from the dead, and He
bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His Bible school this week. Would you immediately make your way over to this